attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I am your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Andrew Copans. That's right, you may remember hearing Michael Copans a little earlier in the run, uh, I finally was able to pin down his brother. I was out in L.A. and went to his office. Had a great time. You're going to hear it. Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff. He's obviously got great memories of camp, and we went through a bunch of that stuff. Before we get to that, a couple notes for you. First of all, Camp Ojibwa is having a special blowout sale on some of their gear. Some of the camp clothes from camp. They're uh, cleaning out the inventory. So if you head over to our Facebook page... Camp Ojibwa Facebook page, click there and you're going to see uh, a bunch of the classic OJ gear, the gray sweatshirts, the red shorts, the basic stuff there for sale for cheap, but get it while it's there because there's not, a, there's not a lot left already. So if you want to go get a great deal on some classic gear before it's gone, head over to the Camp Ojibwa Facebook page. Also, quick side note, I'm going to be headed down next month to New Orleans for a week and if there's any Ojibwe guys who are down there who listen to the podcast who I don't know about, reach out to me. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampOjibwaHistory.org. Let me know you're there, and let's do a podcast while I'm there. I would hate to miss out on the opportunity since I'm already going to be there, and especially if I don't know you're listening. So drop me a note and let me know. Okay, enough housekeeping. Let's get to it. Here we go. Andrew Copans on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. your name and your years at Camp Ojibwa. Name is Andrew Copans. Years at Ojibwa started in 1990 through 1994. Took a year off. Sorry, 90 through 93. Took 94 off and then 95 through 2001 on staff. Nice. How did you come to find out about Ojibwa? So I grew up in San Diego where um, you know, my parents, you know, I have two brothers, Michael, my twin, and Sean, the lesser known Copans, who's, you know, two years older. Um, you know, my parents wanted to send us to sleepaway camp. They didn't really like any of the camps in California for whatever reason. Um, and Denny used to come out to California, I think every year to recruit kids. Oh, right on. Um, and so... My older brother, Sean, played on a Little League team, a Little League baseball team with Mike Benz, whose dad is the infamous Dr. Ron Benz, who I believe is still uh, at camp. Absolutely. Uh, Still see him every year. Still see him. I think he's there during collegiate week, which is the best time to have him because he doesn't let anyone actually stay in the infirmary. (laughs) But, uh, you know, so Sean was on a team, was on a baseball team with Mike Benz. I guess my mom was talking to Mike's mom about, you know, wanting to find a camp for, you know, her three uh, athletically inclined sons to go to and you know she said oh you know my husband went to this camp is keeps going back to the doctor my son Mike was going to camp at that time as well um, so Denny actually flew out on a recruiting trip I think it was just Denny I don't think Elliot was there I don't remember it was a long time ago but sure. um, you know he came to our house I have you know I was 11 years old the first year in 90 I was 12 so you know started camp kind of late um, you know, didn't start at eight, nine years old. Right. So I was probably 11 when Denny came to the house. Um, 
gave the you know old classic Ojibwa slideshow at that time presentation, <laughs> sure. um, and proceeded much to the shock and awe of my mother to start wrestling with you know myself and my two brothers wow. literally on like the living room floor, <laughs> uh, the family room of my parents' house. You know my mom, who's very sort of conservative and like you know from South Africa and just very like you know she was didn't really know what to make of it, but um, you know it was just Denny being Denny and. Sure. My parents decided that they were going to send their three boys, you know, literally halfway across the country for eight weeks, uh, you know, probably to get us out of their hair for two months. And, yeah. you know, that was that was how we got introduced to camp was, you know, Denny making a literal house call from, you know, Chicago all the way out to San Diego. That's amazing. So when you guys came in, would you uh, fly into Chicago and then ride the buses up or would you like fly direct up to like Rylander? Or so different in different stages when we first started as when we were campers we would fly the school schedules in california uh, at least in san diego were the cal this school year ended a little later than it did in chicago where most of the kids were obviously coming from so even my first year i remember we actually got to camp a couple days late because we had to finish school so we would i think every year as a camper we flew directly into Rhinelander, you know, connecting through Minneapolis or Chicago, and then someone picked us up yeah. from Rhinelander. You know, I think I also did that maybe my first couple of years on staff, but, you know, as I got older and, you know, we would typically, towards the end, fly into Chicago, spend a few days, usually stay with the Salzmans, uh, you know, David Salzman and his family for a few days before nice. camp, and then, and then take the bus. And obviously as staff, you know, well, uh, yeah, we, we would, uh, you know, we would do it that way or drive up or take the bus up. So yeah. that's, yeah. Very nice. Uh, so you guys go out there. Now, do all three of you go the same year? You all start at the same time? Yes. Yeah, so we all went the first year. Sean, so at that time, there was no Cabin 14. So this was 1990. Right. I think, can't remember 14 started, I think in 92, maybe? I think 92 so right, was yeah. the first year because actually that's right because you know, my older brother, Sean, was in Cabin 13 for two years, actually, in 90 and, and 91. Uh, and then he was in 14 in 92. But, yeah, we all started together. All, you know, at that time, you could only either go first four or all eight. Right. There was no option to go just second four. Um, and so we went all eight. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it was pretty traumatic for me okay <laughs> sure. as uh you know my brothers handled it I'll, I'll i'll admit i don't like to admit it but i will admit it on on record that you know i struggled the most in terms of you know being sent two thousand miles away uh, sure. not really knowing anybody i was gonna say um, you guys didn't know you know we knew really. mike benz right you know who was you know my older brother was sean's age because you know mike you know i wasn't friends with him he was my my brother's age you know, I, we knew him. I, I don't think there was anyone else literally that we knew. So, you know, going to camp, uh, you know, 2000 miles away where all the, most of the kids knew each other from home. Right. Uh, you know, this was pre cell phone days. This was pre and it's not like campers can have cell phones. I don't know what the policy is now, but, uh, you know, and to top it all off, you know, my parents, the first year that we were there, didn't even come visit during visiting weekend. <laughs> so, you know, I... They're just done. <laughs> I, you know, this is 28 years ago, whatever, 27 years ago. I mean, you know, I, I think I'm still traumatized by, you know, that first visiting weekend, you know, when all the parents uh, are rolling into, you know, running into camp, sure. you know, that Friday afternoon. And there's me and my two brothers, you know, hanging out with the foreign staff. I was going to say, because, you left behind with the foreign uh, literally, staff. Literally, <laughs> because, you know, my parents, you know, I love my parents. But, you know, they, for whatever reason, decided that they weren't going to fly out. <laughs> they, it was too much energy to fly out. To, uh, a little tough you know, well, you guys will not, be fine. It's not so easy to get to Eagle River, you know, That's from, true. from That's San true. Diego. And, you know, but it was pretty hard, I got to say. Mm. I mean, you know, I have letters um, you know, that my mom kept actually, uh, and busted them out a few years ago when she was sort of cleaning up the house that, you know, from my first year in 90 and the first like two, three weeks were, you know, camp is, I like, you know, camp is good. I like camp. I don't want to come back next year. Mm. Right. Uh, and then, but it's funny because, you know, as the summer went on that same summer, it was sort of switched and you can see it to camp is great. I really want to come back next year. Right. Nice. So, you know, the first few weeks were rough. Uh, but, you know, obviously after that, you know, I developed the love for it that I still have today. I mean, I went to camp for 11 years between, 
you know, starting at age 12. I milked it at the end of it. Uh, I got I got some half summers in there at the end sure. of the staff. Those still but, count. Uh, those still count. Half is fine. Yeah. It's like three days. That doesn't count, but half is fine. Right. So what do you think it was that was that changed for you? What do you think was the thing that made you go, okay, now I want to come back? Do you, you know, think it was I, any one thing or like anything that happened? Th- you know, I think it was probably a combination of a few things. I think it was first just sort of getting over my homesickness. I wasn't like crying homesick. You know, I wasn't, you know, I was 12. I wasn't in cabin one, you know, eight or nine years old. I mean, I'll at least give myself that credit that I wasn't, you know, (laughs) sitting in my bed crying every day. You know, so combination of getting over homesickness, getting to know the kids and just loving the atmosphere and, you know, playing sports every day. I mean, you know, I was, you know, I wish I, everyone wishes, you know, who's into sports that they could just spend their days you know playing playing sports yeah absolutely um you know i did have i'll toot my own horn a bit you know i, I won the this the um track meet my for my oh, age group my first nice. year and so i sort of you know it was like ego boosts like that you know which to me was like you know okay you know i can you know i belong here you know it was it was look i haven't been at camp in a while and i don't know how the competitive nature is now versus then you know but and i'm sure it's i think it's still very competitive but you know it was it was pretty competitive back then yeah, and for sure. you know as you know if you were you know sort of recognized as a good athlete you know it, it was maybe a little easier to acclimate mm-hmm. uh you know if you didn't really know many people or whatnot because you know people i just i really remember this it was a long time ago but you know, when they were sort of announcing, you know, the win, you know, back then, actually, it was, there was only one, you know, there was only one set of leagues that lasted, you know, seven weeks and then oh, right, a week. One shot. And then, you know, there were two track meets and two swim meets, but they, I think they accumulated the points, um, oh, you know, and only gave out one trophy, but they still gave ribbons out. But, you know, I remember in the first four track meet, you know, when they were sort of announced, you know, they would get, you know, Denny or would get up in front of the camp and, and you know, go, you know, sport by you know event by event you know pioneer or whatever the youngest age group you know 100 meter dash third place well and you know you'd go up and get your ribbons sure and you know i still have memories of you know sort of having my name you know because i got a couple first places and maybe a second place and you know people are like you know who is this kid kind of thing nice. um and so you know i think that maybe made a little bit easier you know, just getting acclimated and sort of, you know, boosting my, my, my fragile ego a little bit. Yeah, for um, sure. Were so. there, were there sports that were like uh, different to you? Cause you guys probably didn't play 16. Well, obviously you weren't playing 16 yet, but you probably never seen 16 inch softball. Never seen 16 inch. No, never played softball period. Ah. I mean, my first year, you know, I played baseball as a kid. Um, I think that's about the age I stopped playing at home was about 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, certainly getting, when I first started, it was I was in Pineapple, right? I was in Cabin 9, um, and, you know, it was not 16-inch. It was 12-inch, but I had never played, you know, slow-pitch softball before. Right. Um, and so that was that was different. I'd never probably played floor hockey mm. either. Sure. Um, you know, I was a big soccer player. Soccer was probably my best sport oh. at that age. So I'm guessing you, got, you and your brothers probably all were better at soccer than... Because these the Chicago kids, soccer 100%. wasn't really big there. Yet. Actually, I think the only maybe one, I think the only team ca- like a captain I have as a as a player on a plaque is 1990 soccer, um, the Sharks. Oh, nice! Uh, with Steve Tepper. Okay, as the coach. nice. He's on my list, by the way. Uh, he's on my list. Um, so yeah, I mean, right. Many most a lot of the Chicagoans didn't play soccer or were not interested in it. Yeah. And that was, you know, both me and my two brothers probably best sport at that time. Maybe tennis, but tennis is obviously not a league. Right. Um, so yeah. So so you know what and you know basketball obviously it was basketball. Um, I don't think we had volleyball league in pineapple. I think it was right. only in watermelon. Um, I don't know what it is today, but uh, yeah, they've switched some of that up. That volleyball goes down a couple age groups, but then they've also added Nukem as a league sport for the little kids. So, oh, really? So they get it. I think it was just to sort of maximize the the play areas, right? You know? right so you right, can get right, all the right. leagues playing at once. Gotcha. But yeah, uh, so that's great. So you came in. Uh, you already kind of came in as an athlete. That's a great step forward. You got a yeah. few things that you're better than everybody at, but then a few things that are like completely foreign right but that's perfect that's a perfect mix yeah uh you talked about cabin nine do you remember your guys that you were in there with i do so i'll preface it by saying that 
we are the only age group, and I'm sure my brother mentioned this or Victor, uh, that Elliot never was a counselor of because we were uh, quite a nauseous group of kids, as it were. Um, so in, my, in Cabin 9 that year, you know, it was me, my brother, uh, Brett Victor, um, Scott Snower, Josh Mincer, uh, Zach Braun, Dean Lurie, um, Andy Emmerman. I mean, you probably haven't even heard of some of these names. Yeah, some names, um, name drops. Elliot, Elliot Raznick. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just pulling names. I, I did think about this before we sat down. Um, but, you know, there are probably about 11 or 12 kids in the cabin at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, the only ones that, well, you know, as I said before, we, I skipped, you know, I was there as a camper 90 through 93. 94 would have been my potential year. But my parents decided to, you know, we took a long family trip that summer. You know, my family's from South Africa. We went to South Africa. It was the unveiling of my grandfather's, you know, headstone. He had died a year before. And we just, you know, so we made like a six-week, my parents made like a six-week trip out of it. So, you know, I missed the potential year. Um, You know, know, I'm still friendly with Elliot today and have asked him, I think, on numerous occasions, you know, and as is Michael, my twin, you know, if we were there, if we had been in cabin 14, would he have been in the cabin? And, and, his, and his response immediately is absolutely not. <laughs> so I guess he didn't like us that much. <laughs> For the record, Victor was weighing the scale down pretty yeah, heavy. Yeah, I think... Uh, Single-handedly. Yeah, I think uh, that is probably very true. So, yeah. That's awesome. And sta- uh, do you remember staff guys yet? I, so staff was... Initially, it was... Uh, Darren Annixter was one of, I think, second year JC. Um, two other guys that I just cannot, the SCs that, well, one of the SCs was a guy by the name of Tom Mack, who okay. was, I believe, a longtime Ojibwe guy. And, you know, within, I want to say, a week of camp, maybe 10 days, he was asked to leave um, <laughs> camp. <laughs> by Denny sure and you know the powers that be (laughs) for I don't know I don't remember but it had believe it had something to do with he was chaperoning a rafting trip for the oldest kids and um believe there was some alcohol I see consumed I don't know don't quote me on that (laughs) I know this is on the record but so I have very little memory of him because he was only there for maybe a week or 10 days and he left and Brett Bohm came oh, in. Nice. I don't I don't remember if Brett was in another cabin. That must have been what it is. I mean, I'm guessing he was in another cabin and they yeah. moved him into our cabin. That's a solid trade-up. Um, yeah. No, yeah. it was great. It was great. Uh, you know, I didn't get to know Tom, but, you know, Brett, obviously, you know, is, a, you know, the best you could hope for as, yeah, a, as, for sure. as a camper. So, um, yeah. The, and I just can't remember the names of the two other. Eric something and I think Andrew something. I just don't remember. Right on. Well, you know, those two are pretty solid. You, yeah. get, a, you get a pretty good camp experience out yeah. of Darren and Brett. Exactly. Nice. Uh, so just rewinding a little bit, talking about you guys first getting there. What's the first thing you remember about getting to camp? As coming across the country and landing in this spot and presumably getting driven in by someone because you guys are late. Yep. What's the first thing you remember? So there's a couple of things I remember. First, the, I mean, literally we got there you know, midday during the middle of leagues. So, you know, we went and, you know, we got picked up at Rhinelander. I can't remember who picked us up, honestly, I don't remember. You know, driven to camp, took our bags straight to our cabins, um, you know, dropped our bags off. The first, my first memory, honestly, is (laughs) as ridiculous as this sounds, dropping my bag off in cabin nine and looking under the beds and seeing that there were a few kids that had like 10 pairs of like Air Jordans. <laughs> and I'm, you know, me and my brother are, and my two brothers are there with like, you know, maybe one pair of shoes. Sure. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, first of all, I was like extremely jealous. Right. Okay, I'm 12 years old and I'm like, you know, not every kid, but there were a few bunks and kids who I was name I won't mention that, sure. you know, had a lot of uh, <laughs> brand new, you know, $100, uh, you know, Air Jordans. Right. Um, and I was just, like, wow, how, you know, I was very jealous, let's just put it that way. <laughs> and then after we dropped our bags off and I was wowed by that, out to the far field, it was for softball. And for some reason, oh. like, 
I think every league at that you know activity period must have been playing softball because you know we oh, were in pineapple field, and on yeah. the far, far it was far field the furthest possible field I don't know if you remember what diamond that's considered but if you walk out to the far field literally to the back right uh, you know I, I jumped right into a softball game and Brett Victor was on my team and I remember meeting him and he said you know it was his first year at camp as well mm. there were a couple other kids from LA that he knew but I don't think he knew very many people either right. um, and you know I just remember meeting him. He was probably the first guy I ever met at camp um, and just saying, oh, cool, we're in the same cabin, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, my first memory is literally going straight out to, you know, jumping right into softball. You know, my coach nice. was, I think my coach was Sid Foreman, I think. I don't remember 100%, yeah. but, you know, just literally getting thrown into the games, right? Uh, you know, awesome. right from the get-go. So I love that idea of, of the nine diamonds. When I got there... It was still sort of in the manual that there's nine diamonds for everyone to play softball, but we kind of stopped. Like it used to be the very first period of every year. That right. was the first thing you kicked yep. off with. And we'd kind of stopped. So we've never really done it since. But that just idea of everyone being able to play softball at the same time. Right. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was cool. And they used to, I think they did that the first few years. Yeah. You know, I was there. What did they do? Basket Like older kids play basketball now. I think that's is that yeah. the most popular thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Michael Jordan. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I, I firmly believe that Michael Jordan single-handedly changed. Uh, you know, because it was softball, softball, softball for seventy years. Right. And then well, circa I mean, nineteen eighty, Michael Jordan in Chicago. It became you know, basketball, basketball, basketball. Right, most kids coming from Chicago. <laughs> exactly. That would make sense. Exactly. So uh, you get there. Tell me a little bit about your camp day. What's the camp day look like? So the camp day was, um, I believe we had one period of instruction in the morning. I don't think the oldest kids, you know, I was in Pineapple. There, I think there were only three. It was divided into three at that time. Oh, okay. It was, you know, peach slash grapefruit. I don't remember which it was called. Pineapple and watermelon. You know, watermelon, I don't think ever had instruction. Peach uh, and pineapple had instruction. So I think our first period, either our first or second period of the day was instruction, which none of us liked. Sure. Um, you know, just didn't want to be, you know, I don't think the counselor, you know, thinking about it, I, the counselors probably didn't like it either. Right. You know, it's like, you know, having to go, you know, quote unquote teach. I mean, you know, <laughs> as a counselor, you know, you're, you're whatever, you know, junior counselor, you're in high school, you know, senior counselor, you're probably in college, maybe a bit older, but you know, you probably don't have like vast technical experience teaching, you know, <laughs> basketball skills. Maybe you exactly. do, maybe you don't. Sure. But, you know, so it was definitely a period of instruction and a league period in the morning, um, followed by lunch, followed by rest period. It's probably very similar to what it is today. You know, after rest period, again, I believe, you know, two, well, there was probably, you know, one league period and then maybe, a, and then a rec period. Mm -hmm. um, dinner early evening league and, and late and then, you know, late evening activity and then bed. I mean, I don't think it's that much different yeah. to what it is today. May, I don't know what it is today, but I'm assuming it hasn't, no, that's pretty that close. hasn't changed. That uh, much. Instruction is kind of fallen by the way. So we've, we, we lost it solidly for several years. Then we tried to sort of be like, well, you know, it wouldn't hurt to teach some skills right, right. <laughs> because that whole, especially even just coaching skills. So that kind of stuff had fallen by the way. Yeah. So we've been trying to bring it back to some degree, but I mean, one thing I will say though, which I think is very different, at least, you know, look, my last year on staff was 2001 and it was already going in this direction. Like when I was a camper, no one wanted to go to the waterfront. Mm. I mean, there was like a very, you know, small group of kids who loved to water ski and that, um, you know, but like going to the waterfront was like punishment. I mean, at least in my view. And I think, you know, if you ask most people my age that were campers, you know, it was like oh, the dreaded waterfront. Like, you know, if you got assigned to like instruction at the waterfront, oh, right. it was like, uh, you know, why? And I'd much rather be doing anything else, maybe other than arts and crafts, which I think was also like an <laughs> the youngest kids had instruction as arts and crafts, I yeah. think, from time to time. But, you know, I think that's I think that's changed. I may be wrong. I mean, maybe it's the advent of, you know faster boats and like big tube you know tubing things and more fun stuff or i don't know i don't know what and maybe i'm wrong maybe it's yeah, but i think I it's mean, a lot more popular now than it was when i was more popular. i mean it's still you know uh part of it is who's running the waterfront that right. is a big influence on things and and our friend todd jacobson has been doing an excellent job for the TJ, past several years still uh, uh with rudy crawford of course really yeah those two have been co-directing the waterfront for the past oh maybe now six six seven years rudy is glenn's brother right? yes 
And Rudy's now got, you know, maybe he's got 10, 12 years under his belt. So, wow. yeah. So they do a pretty great job. Uh, before that, we had Salzy for a little bit. Yep. He did a great job. Um, I guess you probably had Paul Williams, maybe, or? <sighs> Paul Williams. God, who is? I cannot even tell you who the water, in the early 90s, like, I mean. Uh, it just s- bounced around, right? Spadanuda. Is the name that comes to mind? <laughs> Spatty? Nice. Another you know, name. B-I-N-G-O, S-B-A-D-Y. You know, there are a lot of Spatty chants. Sure. He was in the early 90s. Um, Jim Warren. Oh, sure. Uh, when he came back. And I think mid, maybe mid-90s, Jim yeah, Warren. Yeah, he came back when Zach was a camper, right? Correct. That was the whole deal? Yes, yes. So, let's see. Talking about the waterfront, outside of sports, that actually brings up stuff. So, outside of the sports realm, the things that you kind of came there for. Right. Uh, were there other things at camp that you really dug? Uh, at my honest answer is no. I mean, you know, I wasn't into theater. Sorry, I know you're a theater no, guy. No, not at all. <laughs> um, I have a terrible voice. I actually was in chorus before my voice broke, I think maybe for like my sure. first couple of years. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, you know, not really. I mean, I, I just enjoyed, you know, I was a competitive kid. Um, you know, I, you may or may not have heard you know, what my nickname was, uh, uh, which I'm not sure when it was christened, but uh, it was probably, it, it, it was in into my counselor years um, that, and I don't remember who came up with this, and I'm embarrassed to admit what my nickname was, but uh, my nickname was Psychopans. I see. Because, <laughs> let's just say, in my youth, I had um, a bit of a temper, and I was very intense, and you know, I took things way too seriously, uh, and you know, <laughs> pros and cons to that. So sure, you know, but you know, going back to, and I can talk about that a little more. But going back to your you know initial question, you know, honestly, no. I mean, I loved you know the sports. I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to think of what other sort of activities were there. I mean, you know, I, I liked the. It, there were some cool stuff, which I think they've sort of got rid of. Like, you know, circus day was always. Uh, you know, I enjoyed sure. Circus Day. You know, a lot of people didn't, but, you know, I enjoyed it. There was Gold Rush Day, which oh, I don't nice. know if they have that anymore. But uh, it's it comes and goes. Comes Every and few goes. years we'll bring it back. You know, th- th- those days were fun. You know, yeah. those you know, when, they, when they would do events like that. They kind of you know, break up the regular programming. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, they would break up the regular programming. It was fun. It was different. It was, you know, you got to do, you know, cool things. And Circus Day, you know, everyone just wanted to you know, get the cotton candy and, you know, whatever else was, you know. Sure. And when you were a, you know, counselor and got to, like, work in the cotton candy booth, that was, like, the you know, bat, Mona from Literally the best. Like, exactly. <laughs> literally I was the like, best. I, I was like, I, you know, it was fights over, you know, literally over who would, like, get to work the, uh, right. you know, and as I got more senior, you know, I got to work a little bit more in the, uh, in the cotton candy booth, yeah. the snow cone booth. What about uh, trip day? What's the trip day when they tell you this is what it's going to be today? What's your favorite? What's the one? Um, really, the only thing I was interested in as a camper and probably as a counselor was going into town. <laughs> I mean, I didn't enjoy, like, I'm not a camper. Like, my family never camped growing up. Sure. I never signed up for any overnighters as a camper. I had no interest in doing that. My wife is Amen, very bro. upset because, <laughs> you know, she grew up camping and, you know, oh. wants to take our kids camping. And I'm like, you can go right ahead. But, you know, <laughs> you're on your own. So I didn't, didn't like camping. You know, I'm trying to remember the trip days was really, um, you know, three basketball, tur- you know, I would sign up for like, you know, three on three basketball tournaments or, you know, tennis tournament. I, you know, I was a big tennis oh, yeah. player back in the day, um, you know, which was fun. Um, but definitely no, definitely no camping. Uh, you know, one of my least favorite memories of camp is when I was a counselor in Cabin two, my first oh. year, my first year on staff, nineteen ninety five, um, and didn't have a choice that you know <laughs> right. cabin two was going on an overnighter, right? I, this is literally the first time I've ever camped in my life. I'd never spent a night in a tent before this. I had no interest <laughs> in in uh, in you know in doing this, but didn't have a choice. Sure, and my co counselors were Scott Snower. The, the, he was with the other JC. The SCs were, I the name of, I think, something shot. SC, uh, I can't remember his first name. And then this guy, Dave Haas, okay? And Dave Haas was, I think he was a one-year staff man. He was a nice guy. 
he was a little nuts, all right? I think he was, he was from somewhere in the Midwest, maybe somewhere in Wisconsin, Minnesota. Uh, kind of a jacked kind of a guy, not yeah. the brightest, you know, bulb in the, sure. in the shed. But <laughs> so my memory of this, of camping, is that, you know, we go off, get driven to the site. You know, Dave and the other guy uh, shot had, you know, camping experience. So they were sort of handling everything, Scott and I. You know, as the Jews who had never camped in their life were, you know, <laughs> completely useless and just letting them do everything. Um, but, you know, it's like time to go to sleep. It's dark and everyone's sort of looking around. This cabin, too. Okay. The kids are like nine years old. Right. Everyone's like, where's Dave? Like, where's Dave Haas? Like, no, no one has seen Dave. Where's Dave? We're like starting to panic. Literally, it's been like 20, 30 minutes. He's disappeared. Okay. This is, you know. And so, you know, the kids are freaking out, you know, where's Dave, you know, me and the other counselors are like, what the hell is going on? We literally were going to like, you know, take the car and start to drive around when all of a sudden he comes tearing through the woods, screaming at the top of his lungs, (laughs) wielding something that he reported to be like a knife. Or maybe he was holding like the, maybe he was actually holding the knife that we used, you know, to to cook or to cut the meat, you know, just to scare the shit out of everybody. I mean, and he, and he achieved his goal, okay, with these nine-year-old kids, okay, who were then shitting themselves. Right, that's it. First of all, I was shitting myself when he ran. I was like, I was like, literally, this guy is going to kill us. Like, you know, I've been at camp for five years. I, you know, I didn't know this guy. He was relatively recently at the beginning of camp. I mean, he, he was kind of a scary guy. He was a little <laughs> out there. Uh, and I remember, so in, in Cabin 2, it was like Catlin, Cornblatt, that age group. Mm. It's their first year. They were in Cabin 2. <laughs> Sorry to embarrass you, Scott, but Scott Cornblatt, uh, you know, he was all of nine years old at that time, insisted on sleeping in the tent, like in between Scott Snower, he was the other counselor, and I, because he was so, he especially, I just remember, I have vivid memories. He was so freaked out because of what this idiot Haas had done to scare all these kids that he like, you know, spent the night in the tents, you know, sleeping like in between Scott Snower and I. So, you That's know, brutal, that, that uh, you know, that, that didn't add to my love of, of camping. No, not at all. Uh, cabin 14 all got together and decided they were going to take it. They wanted to do an overnight this past year. And I was like, that, you guys sound like <laughs> right, you're having a it. great time. Yeah, I will enjoy <laughs> my night of peace and quiet in <laughs> exactly. the cabin by I have myself. Exactly. the whole cabin to myself. <laughs> Thank you. Unbelievable. Ah, uh, that's awesome, though. Yeah, I've never, never been a big overnighter fan either. Have you, were honest. you forced to go on any overnight? Uh, luckily, I was that? able to dodge it because I was only in uh, a regular cabin for two years. And right. then I moved to 14. And 14, I mean, Elliot was never going to be like, let's go on an uh, overnighter. No. Ever. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you like overnighters? Great. Get in with cabin two and we'll right, see you later. Right. That kind of a thing. So, uh, you were talking about psychopaths. Do we want to talk a little bit about, more about that? Because my, my, my first question is, I've met your brother. Right. Uh, and... Michael, my twin, yeah, right? Michael, your twin, yes. Yep. And now I don't know what it was like 15 years or 20 years ago, but what I do know is that Michael seems to be one of the most laid back, like easygoing guys Correct. I've met from Ojibwa. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and for him to be the twin brother of psychopaths yes. is very interesting to me. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, you know, that's generally true that Michael, well, it's 100% true that he's a lot more laid back than me and certainly... You know, nowadays, yes, although he's a little more high strung than he used to be. But, you know, that happens to us as we get older. But certainly back, you know, in the early 90s and, you know, up through our time at camp, uh, you know, when I was a much different person um, and regret a lot of my behaviors, um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, I just and it had always been this way, you know, since, you know the time I could walk probably. I mean, I was just wired very differently. And, you know, I had a very short fuse and had a hard time controlling my temper. And, you know, it would come out in, you know, playing sports quite often just because I was very competitive. Sure. Um, And, yeah, I mean, you know, Michael and I certainly – you know, had very different approaches to a lot of things in life, but certainly in terms of our attitudes, you know, Michael's also very competitive, but, you know, certainly, uh, you know, maybe I, I, I probably say I'm a little more competitive than he is always, probably today even. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, there's no rational explanation for it other than, you know, 
every child is wired differently. Right. You know, we're, we are we are twins, but we are fraternal twins. So we're you know as biologically related as any other brother sure. or as any other sibling. So we do not share the same exact DNA. Right. And for whatever reason, you know, I was I was wired with the, uh, you know, high strung, uh, you know, call them nuts or whatever you want to call me. Uh, now were the uh, were the mess hall cheers of all freak out? Was that already a mess hall cheer? At that this was. Point? Uh, because that certainly early in the 2000s was definitely... A, I don't think so. I don't think so. I was never the... I, honestly, as a camper, now that I'm sort of thinking about it, you know, yes, I, I had a temper, but, you know, I was also fairly shy. Mm. And, you know, I think my real sort of real uh, at that time, uh, you know, personality in terms of my, you know, short fuse came out probably most when I was a counselor, um, you know, certainly in coaching sure. uh, and in dealing with the kids in the cabin. Uh, you know, there are some infamous stories of, uh, of, of me going a little overboard and, and you know, uh, screaming at, uh, you know, young children a little excessively uh, in the cabin <laughs> for, you know, things that did not clearly you know, deserve to be, uh, you know, dealt with that way. Yeah. Um, ask Brett Garber if you ever see Brett Garber. Uh, <laughs> and he'll tell you, or, or Andy Hirsch, anyone who was in that cabin still remembers this vividly to this day, my yeah. my reaction to Brett. I mean, this was cabin six. I don't remember what year it was, but this one that, you know, Hirsch, Garber, uh, Pearson were in cabin six. Gotcha. Yeah, they were my kids that year in six. And uh, I had a little bit of, a, of an excessive reaction to Brett Garber taking the, you know, treats at night. I believe he drank the last of the chocolate milk. Uh, and I wanted some for myself, I being a very, at that point, very selfish individual. Sure. And, uh, you know, I didn't handle it very well. And I, I proceeded to yell at Brett Garber very loudly in his face and, uh, you know. I think I did some psychological damage to him, but uh, <laughs> I hope not. Brad, I love you. And I don't think, you know, I think you've forgiven me for that. But uh, I saw him not too long ago. I think he's adjusted okay. I think okay. he's okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that actually brings up a good question. So the transition to camper, from camper to counselor right. is always interesting. Now, you having that year break, that actually gives you guys a little different taste on it than most people. Because most people go straight from being 14, being the kings of camp, doing whatever you want. Yep. And then... First year JC, yeah. not the kings of camp. <laughs> Definitely not the kings no. of camp. No. So, uh, what was the counselor experience like for you? So, the counselor experience was great. Honestly, you know, um, I, I remember again. I got there late. Actually, the first year, I couldn't go to you know first year on staff. I couldn't go to pre camp because mm -hmm. I was obviously still in high school. And you know, again, the calendar in Southern California, the schools ended much later than in the Midwest, and so. I think I got to camp my first year on staff, maybe a day into camp, um, and so didn't even have like pre-camp to you know be told all the all the wise right. you know uh, advice that is given during pre-camp <laughs> in terms of you know maybe it would have helped me maybe I wouldn't have yelled sure. so much at the little kids but to understand uh, you're a role model uh, and exactly you're a exactly, and yes, exactly exactly <laughs> um, but now the transition was you know was pretty good obviously you know very different it was very different being a counselor rather than a camper you know especially in the first couple of years on staff you know if you've been a camper you know you sort of pine for you know uh, the days of, of being on the other side and you know being able to play rather than rather than to coach right uh, and you know we had waiter you know tables were all weighted mm. back then and so you know it was, and the waiters the JC's were the waiters and so you know, both my years as a JC, you know, had to wait tables, um, which sucked. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> look, you, you did what you had to do, right? I mean, that, that was just how things were done back then. So, yeah. you know, you bitched and moaned and tried to, you know, uh, suck up to the head, the head waiter, whoever that was. I don't even remember who it was either of my two years um, as a JC. But, you know, so look, you know, there's things that, you know, were, you know, you'd rather not have to do as, as a counselor. But, you know, look, overall... You know what, what's there to complain about, right? I mean, you know, you're you're getting paid. I mean, I thought it was a lot of money back then. The, sure. the you know, the six maybe six or seven hundred dollars I got for <laughs> you know I got that check at the end of the summer. It's I was I was like, like yes. bingo, right? I mean, what, what am I going to do with all this money? Um, uh, you know, so but no, being I mean, you know, if someone asked me, did I enjoy being a camper or a counselor more? 
I, I don't know. I don't I honestly don't know how I would mm. answer that question. Um, I mean, maybe maybe a count. I would probably say being a counselor, actually. Yeah. Um, Do you remember what cabins you were in? I uh, let's see. So first year on staff, ninety five cabin two, ninety six cabin eight, um, with Craig Snower, and I think Gil DeGand. Uh, an infamous name around here. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, that uh, first year SC, which would have been '97. Uh, I'm having a hard time remembering. I'm getting old. Um, I can work backwards. I was, I was trying to do the math. That's probably the Pearson Hirsch group because I'm thinking those guys yes, were in. That, I think that's right. Like in '94, they were in like cabin one. Or I two. think that's right. So I think '97 cabin six. Um, I can work backwards. 2001, my last, so the last, two, I think 90, certainly 2000 and 2001, I was only there the second four. Mm. 2001, I think I was in cabin six. 2000, 2000, I was in cabin 13. That I know for sure. That's the year I won the week coaching Princeton. Third, I was in 13 with uh, Genzer and Annixter and, <laughs> and, and Pat McGrath. <laughs> That's an, an amazing crew. <laughs> um, it was an interesting crew. An interesting crew. Then that was also the, that was the Catlin crew that I. It's funny because I'd started right. with them in cabin two, uh, and you know ended with my second to last year where they were in cabin thirteen. He was what was your first 2000. year? Two thousand. Two thousand. But you and I didn't really because you came in second four Correct. and you were in thirteen and I was just a new guy in cabin two. Right. Sorry, I, I was. In the week. So I we didn't cross paths a ton. Yeah. Um, but I, I knew who you were, obviously. And I was like, and they're like, oh, he's an old time. Ojibwe guy's been here right. forever. Of so. that crew, uh, Ginzer really, as a young, impressionable staff man, Ginzer really made an impression on me when he came out to officiate a softball game in a towel. Without and any nothing pants. else. Oh, and, just in a towel. I'm and a folding chair. And a folding chair. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was the other umpire. <laughs> I was like, well, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex, you know, Alex is from L.A., Yeah, right? I didn't know him growing up. I mean, you know, I've, I'm still friendly with him today, actually. Um, uh, you know, Alex is, a, you know, he's normalized. You know, and I think a lot of it for Genzer was just a show, yeah. right? I mean, he was, you know, he was just putting on a show and getting attention. Sure. Uh, and he got attention. <laughs> and he, you know, did a lot of stupid things. I have a lot of funny Genzer stories. I don't know, but... Uh, I, so going back to the cabin, so segueing, 99, I was in um, maybe 98, either 98 or 99, I was in cabin 12 with Genzer, Schwab, um, Ben Heilbrunn, and Jordan Glickson. There was five of us. That was actually a great year. Um, the kids in that cabin were Andrew Robinson, um, mm. Uh, Josh like, Weiss, say like Matazar, uh, Fieldster, Matazar, Mazetta, um, that age group. Uh, it was a good age. It, they, were, they were good kids, actually. That was a really fun year. Yeah. Um, but you know, I <laughs> tell you one funny Genzer story that uh, which actually occurred on pretty much a nightly basis <laughs> is that you know Schwab and I would go out a lot together, uh, you know, with whoever else and you know, to in-laws and come back at whatever time it was. And, you know, if Genzer had been the one staying in that night, you know, if we got, we came, we got back to the cabin or whatever, midnight, 1231, you know, Genzer would wake up and look at me. You know, he slept across from me. You guys in for the night? I'm like, yeah, it's 1230. I'm going to bed. He's like, all right, I'll see you later. <laughs> and he would get up and he would go out at 1230, one o'clock in the morning. God knows where he was going. I mean, I think, honestly, I never asked him about this. I think some nights he would just, like, go and, like, walk around camp and not even go anywhere. And some nights yeah. he would go cruising for townies. Sure. Uh, or he had his, you know, his, this is pre-cell phone days. So, right. you know, it's not like he had, you know, these townies on, uh, you know, that he could <laughs> right. just text and say, I'm coming over. But maybe he just got went to the payphone and called him and said, I'm coming over. But, uh, wow. you know, that, that was a fairly regular occurrence. And that's been <laughs> so he just you know he had a little disco nap and now he's ready to go yeah, that's right and he would get up and sort of function you know the next morning when we had, <laughs> when we had to get up well you bring up a good topic uh one aspect that comes into play as a counselor that's a big aspect i think of being a counselor is the sort of nightlife yep. atmosphere and what happens off camp yep. tell me a little bit about what that looked like in your time so it was a little different for me in the sense that you know i didn't First of all, you know, I didn't really know any of the girls from the other camps, right? 
you know, everyone was friends from home or most people, you know, from Chicago, they sort of all knew each other. And, you know, so, you know, I, I started to meet girls as sort of I got older and a little more confidence and through, you know, just hanging out. But, you know, we used to go out, to, you know, as J, as a JC, I don't think I really, I mean, first of all, I looked like I was 10, okay, <laughs> when I was 15, 16, you know, at most, I probably looked like I was 10. So, you know, I know that the, you know, they weren't exactly strict with IDs at, yeah. you know, the places in the river, but still, and I, I just wasn't, that just wasn't me. I mean, I wasn't like going out to bars when I was a JC, but, you know, when I became an SC and was in, went to college and, you know, had a terrible fake ID, um, <laughs> you know, we would, I mean, a typical night out, I would say 90% of the nights out would be spent uh, at in-laws, mm. playing pool, uh, you know, chilling on the back porch there and, you know, eating. And, you know, I wasn't a huge drinker. I would have a few drinks, but, you know, I wasn't still today. I'm not the biggest drinker in the world, yeah. you know, but mostly just go and, and, and hang out and, you know, uh, eat and play pool. I mean, they had some good food. I mean, maybe I was just 18 and 19 and thought it was good food, but, you know, to me, it was, you know, going out there and getting their pizzas for, sure. uh, and, you know, I don't remember what else they had. I would had, say, where do you stand on teeny tacos? Teeny tacos. <laughs> <laughs> distant memory uh but I, I i have fond memories of teeny tacos i have heard a lot i mean i knew they were sort of legendary right. that was like if you're gonna order and have it brought back teeny tacos was the number one thing to get back i had them once and i was like this is awful i, I these are terrible. i'm sure they were horrendous right like but this, you know when you're again when you're you know 18 19 20 and you've had a few drinks and that's true you know and you know, they probably tasted uh, amazing. I mean, it's funny because, you know, the food runs, as, as, as you mentioned, like bringing back teeny tacos to camp. So, you know, the food runs, at least when I was a camper and certainly probably my first couple of years on staff, it was all, you know, McDonald's, I think. Right. I think. But, you know, I, in cab, when I was in Cabin 12, that same year I was just talking about with Schwab and, and Genzer as co-staff, you know, we used to do food runs from in-laws Sorry, Denny. Pretty much uh, on a certainly at least three or four times a week, right? Uh, and we would and we would fund a lot of our drinking and eating at in-laws with you know these uh, sure. with the food we would bring back. So right. the menu you know, prices get inflated a little bit because little of bit. transportation not, not, costs. We, yeah, you know. we weren't yeah. you know we weren't charging unconscionable prices to the campers, but you know. It was a win-win. Everyone was happy. I have heard some incredible stories. $20 Big Macs. I mean, so you're, you're fine. You're totally fine. Uh, but I really do. I think I think that that part of it, even what you're talking about, just going to in-laws, even if you're not drinking or whatever, just hanging out, yeah. that is a big part of the sort of brotherhood part of camp, uh, the bonding a, part of camp. It's a huge part. I mean, I, you know, I, I would say that, yeah, I mean, you know, I still have a lot of close friends. Uh, you know, I've lost touch with some people, but like, you know, David Salzman is one of my, you know, probably best friends today. I still keep in touch with Schwab. You know, he lives in Florida. I live here in L.A., so it's hard to see him. But, yeah. uh, you know, I would say for sure, like a lot of the bonding time, uh, you know, hap w between the counselors uh, happened at night, you know, chilling at, at, at in-laws and playing yeah. pool and, you know, just away from the kids, away from you know, whatever, just being out and, and relaxing. I mean, I, you know, I have a lot of good memories, you know, nothing specific per se, but, you know, I had a lot of fun, uh, a lot of good times, you know, just chilling and uh, at, at in-laws. I don't know what the hell's there today, but yeah, uh, uh, I think it's long gone. Right? It, it was, it was, it bought out and turned into uh, zingers. Um, they ran it as in-laws one more year, then they changed it to zingers, then zingers moved to another building. Then it became the Loon Saloon. Now it sits there and it's for lease. Like they advertise openly every year, lease this thing for the summer. Right, month. And right. I'm like, why don't a couple of guys only like camp? Killing. I mean, how, can, how much can they camp? be charging for rent for right. this thing? It like, can't be very much. You pay two grand for the whole summer, and <laughs> right. then every camp guy comes there every night. Right. right. But I guess the no problem is you'd have to staff it and get delivery. If I mean, you know, yeah, I guess yeah. there's there's yeah. stuff. Yeah, stuff. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, well, we've talked about a lot of camp things, but the one thing we haven't touched on very much yet is, of course, the arguably the greatest sporting event in all of sporting events, and that is Collegiate Week. That is Collegiate Week, yes. Uh, so tell us a little bit. We've, we've been uh, spoilered a little bit, but tell yeah. us a little bit about your history with Collegiate Week. So um, I am a two-time Collegiate Week winner, once as a camper and once as a head coach. Um, so I started in 90. You know, my first few years I was on awful teams. Mm -hmm. Um, 
1990, I think I finished in last. I don't even remember what team I was on or who my, I think my coaches were, my JC was Jesse Kriz. I think it was Ohio State. I cannot remember who the head coach was. Um, 91, another terrible team. I think I was, it was either Duke, 91, 92, I don't remember which is which, were, were Duke one year and LSU one year. Um, Todd Annixter is a JC on one of those teams. A guy by the name of Rico Melancon was the head coach of that. Uh, sure. I think it was LSU. Do you heard that name? <laughs> not at all. That's no. amazing. Uh, he was a basketball guy. Okay. You know, he, he was not. He, he. You know. He obviously had some French or I don't know history in his family, but he was. You know. I think born and raised in the U.S. Um, maybe not. I, I honestly, I was. I, I don't remember. Yeah. But he was. Uh, you know. It's, he was a head, a head coach. Those two years were also not great. Um, 93 was when I was in 13, uh, and I was a fourth rounder on Princeton, and we ended up winning the week that year. And my brother, Mike, was on Army, uh, and we sort of battled with them to the end. And so to this day, you know, he finished in first, I finished in second. Um, So good year for me. I guess sort of good year for him, but obviously, you know, no one, no one wants to finish. You might as well finish in last if you're finishing in second. Sure, absolutely, um, absolutely. So, you know, had a, you know, one as a camper, which was awesome. Uh, you know, I still have the trophy. I will not, you know, when my mom was cleaning up her house a few years ago, you know, she was throwing everything out, and I said, don't you dare throw out that, uh, you know, collegiate trophy. So now I have it in my house. Um, and my wife said, why are you keeping this? I said, just, just because, okay, I, I can't throw this out. I, I just, mm-hmm. I just can't, I can't even begin to explain to you why I can't, but I just can't. Um, and so then obviously 94 off, didn't coach in 95. I uh, didn't get picked as a, as a first year JC. There were a lot of, um, you know, second there, the JC crew that year was huge. Right. I mean, the, the guys that year ahead of me were, it was like Schwab. You know, Stu Cairo, Josh Walreich, Balanick, you know, that year. there, And there were a lot of guys that age. There weren't very many guys my age. Um, so I didn't get picked. You know, not, not surprisingly, I shouldn't have gotten picked. Sure. And then 96, I coached with Stu Nitzkin, Minnesota. Oh. Uh, I think that was really the year where I earned my that nickname, Psychopans. I see. <laughs> I, I think it might have been coined by Glenn Nesper. I'm not actually sure. But, uh, you know, we had a fat, nauseous, awful team. I think we were coined, you know, the fattest team in the history of collegiate <laughs> week. Um, uh, we were not good. And, and the ironic thing is we couldn't even, I think we lost both tugs. Oh. And I think that's when both me and Stu just blew our shit like because this. everyone's like, oh, we don't want to tug against Minnesota. I mean, look how they're fat, they're nauseous, they're, they're you know, and we lost like both tugs. I mean, it was just, it was, it was disgraceful. Um, 97, I think, coached Michigan with Scott Sang uh, as my JC. We were terrible. Picked a bad team. Brett Kornblatt, first rounder. Mm. Um, I think the 110. Uh, now I'm reaching way back here. 98, Princeton. I, I was coached Princeton with uh, Kevin Blitz as my JC. Sure. Matt Barron as our first rounder, the 1-9. Mm. Matt was at the camp for a couple of years. He was never on staff. Also another bad team. Um, 99, I don't remember. Um, it may come to me. And then 2000, which is when I came up and was in 13 for only the second four, I coached Princeton again with Todd Hayden as my JC. Uh, uh, and that's when I won as a coach, Jeff nice. Leibovich as, as first rounder. Nice. And then I came back actually in 2001, which was my last year on staff, just came up for the second four. And I decided not to coach, um, you know, just didn't want, you know, look, everything is in perspective right back then. It's like, oh, it's so stressful. You know, I just, I don't want to, you know, coaching. It was like, you know, I don't want to have to write a stunt and deal with this. I was right. like, I'm not coaching. I mean, I look back on it now. I'm like, really, how stressful could it have been? <laughs> right. Uh, sure. I mean, compared to like, you know, the stresses in my life now. That's right. That that but, but back then I was like, you know what? I don't want, I just want to relax. This is, I know this is my last year. Right. And you just won. Uh, and I just won. I went out on a high note. I got a lot of shit from people telling me I was a coward for not coaching, but I didn't really care. I said, you know what? I won as a camper. I won as a head coach. I'm done. Um, so, you know, was able to relax that last that As last I recall, uh, 2000 track meet relay 
Jeff, in my brain, this is how this happens. Yes. Jeff Leibovich gets the baton. Every other runner is at least halfway around. Yes. And he passes everyone. Correct. He was the relay. On, Incredible. Yeah. I mean, Jeff, you know, was an amazing athlete. Yeah. Very tall with very long legs. I mean, he ran like a freaking gazelle. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, you know, he he had won, I'm sure, the, you know, the distance, whatever it was, the 220, you know, in, for the age group for Watermelon. That wasn't a question. But, right, I mean, we were you know, way behind in the relay, uh, you know, I don't know, realistically, I, you know, in my mind too, it was like right. the next closest person was like halfway around the track right. and he just freaking smoked them all. But uh, yeah, that, that is, uh, something I will never forget. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's sort of a le- one, a legendary, you know, in that era, uh, you know, stories. Of exactly. Just amazing. It's one of those camp moments. Everyone who's there and what's happening suddenly knows it's happening. Right. And they're like, oh, my God. Right. Look that at was your thing. first year, right? Yeah. In 2000. Yeah. Do you remember what your – I'm trying to remember what your stunt was. I do remember what my stunt was. My stunt – we won stunt night. Many will say that, you know, we sucked up to the judges, which we – 100% did. Education um, is the key. That is exactly of correct. So, as soon as you said sucked up, I knew that was the one. So that 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 was, you know, Cooper Annenberg in cabin one or two, I don't, you know, he was the youngest kid on our team with this, you know, high-pitched, uh, yep. high-pitched voice. I had, I will admit, I had zero part in writing that stunt, okay? <laughs> like I said before, I'm not a drama guy. I have no drama bone in my body. I have no pretenses of, you know, my stunts were always terrible, yeah. okay, up until that point because I had some, you know, part of writing them, and I just, I, I couldn't do it. It's not a skill set of mine. But <laughs> there is a debate to this day between, you know, Lee Bagan, who was our third rounder, mm. and Todd Hayden, who was my JC, you know, the JC, sure. as to who actually wrote the stunt. Okay? <laughs> and I'm here to set the record straight. Nice. Okay. And as much as Todd thinks that he wrote the stunt, <laughs> my memory, and I have a pretty good memory, uh, is that Lee actually wrote that stunt. Uh, sorry, Todd, but you know you may disagree with me, and you may come up here and try to find me and beat me up. But uh, um, you know my recollection is that you know Lee Bagan wrote that stunt, uh, and it was a total suck up to the judges. Stunt. Absolutely, but it worked, and we won stunt night, and we won the week. So. I remember. So that year, uh, my job part of it was I worked with every team. And sort of like helped them as much as they wanted. So some people I like directed stuff for them. Yep, some yep. I just stood back. And I remember thinking, like, this is the kind of stunt that wins. Like, right. there's no question you've written a stunt that wins. Right, right. No. <laughs> as long as you don't like, you know, someone just doesn't fall over dead in the middle of it, you guys are going to do great. Right. I remember actually now. I remember the, you know, vaguely rehearsals and you and you helping out yeah. with rehearsals. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that uh, I think we get a little proof down the road that Lee Bagan can write a pretty good stunt. See, uh, I, I've heard. We gone, I was gone. I've heard of a, another legendary stunt. Yeah. So the Her- seeds were clearly planted. He wrote a, basically an all hip hop stunt. He was like a um, precursor to Hamilton. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> it was. And the, and because the this education is the key stunt, the whole thing was the whole thing rhymed. It was basically a big song, kind of, or right. like a spoken song. Right. So really, you can see where that leads to his stunt later, but. So, Todd, I mean, listen, man, I know you believe a lot of things about yourself. <laughs> but this may not be the one. But you know what? You won the week. So, yeah, take exactly. Pride in and, like, you know what? He may have written it, but, you know, I, I really don't think so. <laughs> uh, Princeton's got great songs. Princeton no longer in the week at this point. But, oh, really? Yeah. Huh. But great songs. I hope they can get back in one of these years. I hope so, too. <laughs> I, I had good luck with Princeton. Uh, so, you're a grown up now. Something like that. You've got kids, yeah. you've got a day job, you do all the stuff. Uh, looking back on your life, how would you say that your time at Ojibwa affected your life? I mean, you know, I, I tell people this all the time. Um, Ojibwa really had a big impact on my life in in a lot of positive ways. Um, you know, coming from San Diego, especially, you know, going across the country, not knowing anyone. Um, you know, it, it really forced me and my two brothers, I mean, I'm sure they'll tell you the same thing, you know, to become, you know, independent uh, at, a, at a very early age, um, you know, and it, so it instilled, you know, from day one, you know, life skills, independence, you know, having to, you know, gain self-confidence, um, you know, in yourself, uh, you know, being in this environment, unfamiliar environment, you know, away from parents away from, you know, obviously, as I got older, you know, I got to know the other kids and became friendly with them. But, you know, 
the biggest thing that I give Ojibwe credit for in, in helping me in my life is probably, um, you know, my, 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 my sense of sort of self-worth and independence. Um, you know, I, I was telling you before we started recording, you know, I have three girls, so unfortunately no Ojibwe for me. They would be at Ojibwe in a heartbeat if I could send them. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, that's not possible. You know, I have twin. My oldest are twins that are nine. And, you know, we actually, my wife and I decided to send them to sleepaway camp this past summer. Um, actually, they went even last summer when they were eight. They went to a camp for two weeks locally here in Ojai. It's about an hour and a half north of L.A. But this summer, we actually sent them. We didn't send them to any of the camps in, uh, in Eagle River or, or in Wisconsin. Just because, you know, people are like, you know, why don't you send them to Maramita? Why don't you? And it's just, you know, I, I don't have the connections to, right, to right. those camps. You know, it just doesn't really mean those camps. You know, I'm sure they're fantastic. Sure. But, you know, obviously I, I don't have any personal connection to them. And, you know, we have a connection through a family on my wife's side, you know, to this camp. in it's in the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. Um, and, you know, we sent my nine-year-old kids there last summer for four weeks. And, you know, it, it was, you know, knowing what, you know, what I got out of, you know, going to Ojibwa and going to sleepaway camp, um, you know, and, and how it positively affected my life, you know, it was very important and it is very important to, you know, that my kids have, you know, a similar experience. Obviously nothing is going to be as great as Ojibwa because nothing can be, but, um, you know, uh, because of, you know, my incredibly positive experiences from Ojibwa, you know, it's important to me that my kids you know, hopefully have a similar experience. But, you know, I, I have a lot of close friends, um, you know, still to this day from camp. Um, you know, I'm 39 years old, I'll be 40 next year. I mean, it's been a long time since yeah. I've been at camp. Um, but, you know, it, uh, you know, it still plays, you know, a part of my life with my friendships that I've kept up and with stories that I tell and, you know, things like that. But, you know, definitely, you know, this just the, the you know, it, it really did make me grow up probably faster than I otherwise would have, um, which was great. I mean, it was it was it was great. You know, like I said, I, I, I wasn't happy at first when I was 12 years old and got sent and, you know, but it was the best thing my parents could have done for me. Um, so, you know, I have no regrets about Ojibwa, only only positive things. That's awesome. So. Well, I always end with this last question. Tell me one more great camp story. All right. So I've been, I was trying to, I knew you were going to ask this question. So I was trying to think of stories and it's not so easy, maybe again, because I'm getting old, but you know, I think, you know, one of the first things that pops into my mind, you know, I wasn't, I was a good athlete. I wasn't the best athlete in my age group. Um, you know, I, I may or may not have gone first round if I was in 14. It was a very weak year. Brett won one, sorry, but a watered down year. Um, <laughs> there's a high chance that I would have gone like late first round, but you know, again, in a watered down year. But in, so when I was in 13 and I was on Princeton the year I won the week, I was a fourth round pick. Um, and, you know, I was always, you know, I, I was a, so. I, Basketball. I was I was a good basketball player. I wasn't the best, but I was a, I was a very good shooter. Okay, okay. I was a, I was a skilled three point shooter. Um, that was like sort of what I brought to the team. And you know we played Illinois uh, in basketball. One of our SV events. Uh, Josh Walreich was the one one that year. You know he was twice my size. I, you know I went through puberty very late, uh, and you know he seemed like you know everyone was big compared to me at sure. that age. But you know. Um, for whatever reason, you know, I sort of had an out of body experience in that game and, you know, as a fourth rounder playing, you know, the one, one, um, I ended up, uh, you know, so I don't know what the rules are today, but back then I think you could, the score out was whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think 13 baskets, like right. you couldn't score more than X number of baskets. Right. right? I, I don't know if that's still a rule. Yeah, in it place did. Today. I think it's 13. So it may be 10, but something yeah, like that, thing. whatever it was, you know, I was just having the game of my life. I was, I was just on fire. I was draining shots from everywhere. Uh, I had, I think six, three pointers. Um, and I had one basket left and we were, we, we killed them. I mean, because like, you know, Stu Cairo had a good game. He was our first rounder and, you know, it, you know, we weren't expected to kill them, but we just, we demolished them. And I remember I had one basket to score out 
And, you know, I really, I'd never scored out in a bat. I never even come close in my, you know, four years as a camper of scoring out in a basketball game. It just wasn't something that, you know, that yeah. happened. And so here I am, like in collegiate week, you know, as a fourth rounder playing against the 1 1, having the game of my life. And maybe there was a couple of minutes left in the game. I had one basket left. The score wasn't in question. So then, like, my team was like, you know, we want you to score out. And it's, it's Adam Bohm was my was the head coach, and he was like, just get the ball to Andrew and see if he can he can score. So I remember at that point, Walreich, who was the one one, came up to me like during a timeout. He's like, "There's no way in hell I'm letting you score. Like I'm gonna guard your ass. I'm not letting you score out." Uh, you know, it was a pride thing for him, obviously. Sure, yeah. So. You know, in my mind, what happened was I, you know, went up the court. I got the ball. Uh, you know, I was very far behind the three-point line. I was literally probably maybe halfway between, like, you know, center court and the three-point line. And, you know, I was holding the ball. I hadn't dribbled yet. And Walreich is, like, staring me down. And I'm just like, fuck it. I'm going to shoot from way out here. And I fucking swished it to, <laughs> to, to score out. And, you know, he was, I just remember, like, you know, everyone went nuts, you know, on my team. You know, I was freaking going nuts. Absolutely. You know, I remember the sort of the rumor started spreading around camp. Like, Andrew, you know, Andrew Copan's scored out in, you know, varsity basketball. Can you believe that? Like, what the hell is going on? And there was a, a daily medicine man back then. Of course, yeah. Uh, and the medicine man that came out the next day, the big headline, which I still have the copies of medicine, medicine man was, Copan's on fire. Uh, that was the uh, the headline of the Medicine Man the next day. That's awesome. So that was definitely the the pinnacle of my you know athletic uh, achievements at Ojibwa. But you know it's just a memory that you know sticks in my mind, and you know I think about it and smile from time to time and relive my glory days as I as I get old and can't play basketball anymore. But uh, well, I think that's a pretty good one. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Pleasure. This it's was great. great. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. for having me. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Fantastic interview with Andrew Copans, catching up on a lot of the 90s and early 2000s talk. Uh, I love it, catching up with a little time, too, where he and I overlapped. And as I mentioned in the thing, we weren't uh, really friendly. I mean, we just barely knew each other at camp. Uh, but to have that sort of shared time at camp together and then be able to share the memories, that really is kind of like what the whole podcast is about, having these moments where guys who were even at camp at the same time who maybe didn't know each other at the time had these shared memories and it kind of gave them a, an immediate closeness because of it. So it was fantastic. I loved it. Thank you so much, Andrew. All right. As always, if you want to know how to get in touch with the podcast, you already know how. You drop me an email, Christopher at org. And you just let me know what's going on. Let me know if you have someone to interview. Let me know if you have some old pictures you just found or maybe some old warriors laying around or medicine man especially. All right, guys. Enjoy this great weather out there today. I'm going out, firing up the Mustang, and lighting up a cigar. <laughs>